welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. read from 1 Corinthians today, and we're going to hear this passage by the Apostle Paul. If you don't know much about Paul, Paul uh, traveled around. He He lived after Christ had died and resurrected. But before the Gospels were written, Paul was a Pharisee who encountered Christ and his life forever changed. He went from seeking out the heretics who followed this Jewish Messiah, this Jesus following people, because he wanted to hold them accountable for their heresy. But when he encountered Christ, his whole life changed, and instead he went around and he traveled and planted churches, basically, what we would call it. He would gather a group of people and tell of the good news of the coming kingdom, and those who were interested wanted to hear more. Pretty soon they were a body of people, both from the synagogue, both beyond the synagogue, Jewish, Gentile, together, young and old, slave and free, male and female, somehow one body which was unheard of in that day. And then Paul would go and do it again elsewhere and went right back and forth to these little groups, these churches, if they needed further advice or he needed to offer them instruction. So we have some of this correspondence. The letter to the Corinthians is one. We only have Paul's side. We don't have the letters they wrote. Uh, so we don't know everything, but we can learn a lot from the letter. What we know from this letter In the church in Corinth was some things going on that weren't great. Uh, We'd call them scandalous our day. We would have lots to talk about in the gossip circles, right? Because what was happening in Corinth uh, kind of mirrored their city. If you don't know about the city of Corinth in first century, they called it a sin city. We know of a place where you go and what happens there stays there because you don't want that stuff coming back and following you. Corinth was one of these places. It was a port city in the Mediterranean Sea along the passages that would be taken by all the places and people of the Roman Empire. And so they would stop, and in Corinth was something for everyone. If you wanted to worship your particular god, there was probably a temple for that. If you wanted to go and engage in all sorts of indulgences of different types, there were places to go for that. Corinth provided it all. Now, the people of Corinth in this church, they were part of that society. And then they encountered the good news. They encountered baptism in the Spirit, and they started changing their lives to align with this new way that Paul had introduced. And so while they had shifted, they had a lot of unlearning to do. Paul wrote regularly to this church. When he was elsewhere, he was corresponding with Corinth. We know there was a letter before 1 Corinthians because 1 Corinthians references an earlier letter. We know Paul wrote to this church, at least what we have, wrote more than any other church. Paul connected with them quite a bit. Makes sense. If you're in that city, among those things, among that past, you probably would need regular guidance as you're coming into this new thing, considering that you don't have a New Testament. You don't have it. It's not written yet. Paul has shared something from the Hebrew Scriptures, and this people are trying to figure out what life means now. Now, some of the problems in Corinth from the first letter, you ready for your eyebrows to raise? 
There was a man there in an inappropriate relationship with his stepmother. Not only that, they were proud. They thought it was great, and everyone should know about it. Yep. There were the Lord's Supper when they would gather together, everyone around a common table, and when they sat at the table, there would, shouldn't be a master and a slave, even though outside of that setting, maybe there was a master and a slave. When they sat at the table, they were no longer these things. But what was happening was some of the people at the table were wealthier. They could get to the table earlier in the day, and they started helping themselves to the wine and to the food. And when the day laborers finally got to come in after the sunset, probably, all the wine was gone, food was picked off, and the people there were drunk. Not a good Lord's Supper. And then they were talking to the people as if they had reverted back to these hierarchy roles. There were people in the church suing each other and going to courts and judges outside of the church to help solve their problems. And they were making a spectacle of each other. The there were more, more problems. Paul's dealing with a lot. He tried to get away, and they just kept writing letters to him. <laughs> the particular problem we'll focus on today has to do with glossolalia. Has anyone heard the term glossolalia? Those are at first service half because I talked about it. Glossolalia is the Greek word which refers to, you may have heard this, speaking in tongues. Familiar with that concept? There are a few different ways that people talk about speaking in tongues. One of them is like the disciples in Acts 2. The Spirit came upon them, and then they spoke to a large crowd of Jewish people who had come from all parts of Asia Minor and the Roman Empire, from different areas with different languages. They were gathered, and the disciples spoke to them in their native tongues, languages the disciples themselves didn't know. But somehow they were speaking it through the power of the Spirit and telling of the good news, speaking in different tongues. It's one way. Another way is when someone might have knowledge of something that they couldn't have had on their own. It was given to them. And some of you may have experienced this. I've experienced this where I receive some bit of knowledge that is to be shared that did not come from me. And then there's maybe the kind that you pictured when I said speaking in tongues, which is maybe someone standing up and uttering some sort of indiscernible or at least non-earthly language and talking and talking, but you can't understand them. Or maybe there were multiple people joining in. I've been in a crowd where that kind of thing has happened. That's a very big part of the tradition of the Christian church, even if it's not necessarily one I've seen a lot in the United Methodist Church. Nothing wrong with glossolalia. All three of those are great blessings. The problem in Corinth is that this third was kind of being abused. How was it being abused? Well, in Corinth, when you'd show up from whatever religion you were, you might, you might have all sorts of gods. Having one god was a foreign thing in the time of Jesus and before. So you'd show up, and you might want advice on something. You may, have, you may be in great need of something, and you want to hear from the gods. And so you might find an oracle who would tell you something from the gods. And maybe that would be in some sort of chant. They, maybe they'd kind of lose themselves in some kind of state that was beyond consciousness, at least as it appeared. And then they would give wisdom from the gods. That oracle would be kind of highly regarded on the street because they talk to the gods. They're somebody important, more important than the people who don't talk to the gods. You with me? What was happening in Corinth 
is they'd be worshiping and someone from that culture and setting would stand up and start speaking glossolalia. But then what would happen is someone else would speak up and speak louder and over top of them at the same time. And then someone else would stand up not to be outdone and speak even louder over top of them and the rest of the people are plugging their ears and trying to discern what is going on. What Paul's discerning is the people standing up are not being led by the Spirit in this case of glossolalia. Because he says the Spirit doesn't cause confusion. The Spirit's not the source of confusion and chaos. So if chaos and confusion are occurring, that's not the Spirit. It seemed more that those people wanted to be regarded as somebody important. And so they could stand up and do this and receive that kind of praise. And Paul says, are you kidding me, folks? And so Paul realizes that there are people looking down on each other, mistreating each other, abusing spiritual gifts, unhealthy people causing unhealthy situations, unhealthy members of the body causing the whole body to suffer. Everyone was affected by the issues of a few, and Paul's having none of it. And so in a loving but direct way, Paul writes. And so let's hear from Corinthians 12, 12 through 31. Christ is just like the human body. A body is a unit and has many parts. And all the parts of the body are one body, even though they are many. We were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek or slave or free. And we all were given one spirit to drink. Certainly the body isn't one part, but many. If the foot says... I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand. Does that mean it's not part of the body? If the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, does that mean it's not part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, what would happen to the hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, what would happen to the sense of smell? But as it is, God has placed each one of the parts in the body just like he wanted. If all were one and the same were in the same body part, what would happen to the body? But as it is, there are many parts but one body. So the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Or in turn, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Instead, the parts of the body that the people think are the weakest are the most necessary. The parts of the body that we think are less honorable are the ones we honor the most. The private parts of our body that aren't presentable are the ones that are given the most dignity. The parts of our body that are presentable don't need this. But God has put the body together giving greater honor to the part with less honor, so that there won't be division in the body, and so the parts might have mutual concern for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part gets the glory, all the parts celebrate with it. You are the body of Christ and parts of each other. In the church, God has appointed first apostles, second prophets, Third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing and the ability to help others, leadership skills, different kinds of tongues. All aren't apostles, are they? All aren't prophets, are they? All aren't teachers, are they? 
All don't perform miracles, do they? All don't have gifts of healing, do they? All don't speak in different languages, do they? All don't interpret, do they? Use your ambition to try to get the greater gifts, and I'm going to show you an even better way. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Interesting things happening in this that you can't really grasp unless you read the whole letter. He gives this list a few times, but he always mixes up the order as if to say, just because I say first doesn't mean it's higher. He uses this image of the body, and if you've been a part of the church for more than a couple of years, chances are you've heard that image used. In the image of Paul's day, they understood that there were philosophers, there were there were people, politicians that would walk around and use the image of the body to tell people to do their job, to tell people to be part of what you've been born into for the sake of the whole. Now, this was usually spoken by people in places of power to those not in power to say, don't worry about getting power, just do your good for the good of all. This was used by American slave owners. They would quote scripture, this scripture, and say to them, you should be slaves, serve well. We, we see this kind of flipping of power all the time. Paul is trying to flip it back the right way. He's already told them that they are part of a new humanity earlier in the letter. So when he talks about the body, he's using language and not just these instances I've mentioned. He is echoing Genesis 2, the creation of human being, when dirt and soil and whatever else was used to craft and form a human being to create this unique being. And then what did God do after forming the human breathed into it. The word in Hebrew for breath is also spirit, inspired the created human being, and then gave them a charge. Take care of the earth. Be my image. Be my representative. Do as I would do. Do my work, and you'll receive blessing through that work. That's the story. So Paul is telling them, you are a part of the new humanity. You have been created You've been chosen and arranged. You have been brought together to be in the body of the Messiah. And that word Messiah would tell us that it's clear they are to be representatives. The word Messiah has a history. You may see it as Christ in your New Testament because the Greek rendering of Messiah is Christos, which is Christ. But Messiah was a word used to designate someone who saves or delivers someone anointed by God to do divine work. So a few people in the Old Testament were regarded as Messiahs. Moses delivered the people from Egypt, anointed by God. King David was anointed and delivered the land from foreign enemies. There was even a foreign king, Cyrus, called God's anointed Messiah because Cyrus conquered Babylon and told Israel they could go back to their land, delivered them. Jesus is the Messiah, the Messiah of Messiahs that not only delivers of some earthly temporary situation, but an eternal situation of sin and death. And so we are brought into the body and we are made part of the body, Paul says, which means we are part of the Messiah. 
Now remember, the Messiah saves and delivers, and we participate in that work with each other. But the Messiah also represents God to the world. The king or Messiah would always be what God is like. Moses was doing what God wanted done. Same with King David, same with Cyrus, and then in Jesus. The full revelation of who God is and what God is about is given to us in Christ. And therefore, Paul says, we are to be the revelation as a part of the body. It's a big charge. It's a good thing we have help. Now, outside these walls, outside of the church boundaries, a me-first mentality works. In fact, it's what you need to climb ladders and have success. Even sometimes in here, a me-first can work, but not very well and for not very long. We've seen people do that. They can have lots of surface success, and then before long, it fades, because that's not the right way. We might in here say, well, we're not me-first people, but are we us-first people? Us versus them. Are we better? Do we look down? It happens. It happens. And we quote Scripture to justify when we feel that way. Amen? We all do it. We get frustrated when others don't agree with us. We think what we're doing is more important and more godly and more righteous than what other people are doing. Are you with me? Paul emphasizes to the church, we are all part of a new humanity. Every member of the church is part of the same body. We are born of the same spirit in baptism, the same spirit as in Christ's baptism. Not only that, he says we drink of the spirit. So we didn't just receive it in baptism. We now are sustained by it every day. We drink of the same spirit, all of us. We're born of and are sustained by that spirit, you and you and you and you and me and even them. Yeah, the days of one-upping each other, like the people in Corinth, of fostering superiority or even division that should be behind us because that's not what God's about. We're representatives of God. We're the body of the Messiah. We connect with and find life through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who feeds us with the right things. Hope. Purpose. Gifts. Bless you. Value. And membership. And the word member is referring to like an arm as a member of my body. Membership. I don't understand what some people in the church do. I don't understand them. Are you with me? You may not understand me. I don't understand why people think that some of the things they think. I don't get it. And you may think that of me. I don't understand who people are exactly, who they believe themselves to be, and it doesn't always make sense with how I try to understand it. It's as if I'm an ear trying to understand what it is to taste or to see or to smell. I can't. It's impossible. What a great image Paul gives us. Just because I can't doesn't mean that I'm any less or they're any less. I just don't have the faculty to understand. You don't have that faculty to understand me all the time either. Maybe that'll give you some relief. Okay, you don't have to try, right? Paul communicates this important message for us all. Every person, hear me on this if nothing else today, every person who claims Christ as Lord, every person who says, I want to follow Christ, Paul says they can only do that through the work of the Spirit. 
They can't say that and do that without the Holy Spirit. Therefore, anyone who claims to follow Christ as Lord has the Holy Spirit, the same one spirit. There's some comfort. We're not alone. We have this beautiful family of ears and eyes and noses and all sorts of people I don't understand and they don't understand me, but it doesn't matter. God has chosen and arranged them accordingly. So no matter what your gift or ability is, no matter if you might say it's not as important, you're wrong, friends. When Paul talks about hiding certain parts, we know what parts he's talking about. In society, the most important people wouldn't be seen, right? A king, you wouldn't see the king. You'd have to get through a lot of people indoors to actually be in the presence of the king. So he's using that image to say, some of our body parts, we don't show everybody. We give them a dignity. We don't show them. It's the same with gifts. If you feel like your gift is so small and insignificant and unseen, Paul says, you have more dignity than those who are seen. He's flipping it all around. We're here for a reason, each and every one of us and our gifts. Amen? Why else would you be here? We're the body chosen and arranged for the purpose of God. What if we live like we believe that? What if we actually cast off of ourselves all other allegiances? What if we stop measuring ourselves to others? What if we stop measuring them to us? What if we just stopped fostering division and we just said, no more. I don't understand. Maybe I'm not meant to. I'm done causing division. What if we stop trying to understand and judge and control one another? What if we just came together as one body? We can. Amen? There have been many moments in this congregation's beautiful history where you have done just that. And there are times where it's been a struggle. And that's okay. It happens. The days ahead of us, in case you're wondering, they are very bright, very bright, because we have the same spirit that brought them together in Corinth, the same spirit that turned Paul's life around, the same spirit that turned your life around, brought us together, and isn't going anywhere. Amen? So let's celebrate our gifts and our variety. Let's offer them without reservation or hesitation and honor even the smallest gift. If you say, hey, I'm really good at dusting baseboards, then I want to hear it. Let's put you to work and see what the Spirit just might do with this beautiful chosen and arranged body. Amen? Amen. We thank you for joining us today. And it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.